This podcast is supported by Rider Supply Chain Solutions. Rider has nearly 80 years of experience helping customers in North America, the UK, and Asia transform their supply chains by delivering the best in operational execution. Rider provides a full range of services from optimizing day-to-day logistics operations to synchronizing the supply of parts and finished goods with customer demand. Visit us at rider.com. That's R-Y-D-E-R dot com. And now, on to the podcast. Baby boomers out, millennials in. It's a pivotal moment for the supply chain profession. Hi, everybody. I'm Bob Bowman, Managing Editor of Supply Chain Brain, and this is the Supply Chain Brain Podcast. That quote comes from Mark Holst Knudsen, president of ThomasNet.com, a platform for supplier management and procurement. But he's doing more than just sounding the alarm. ThomasNet has joined with the Institute for Supply Management to launch a program that awards millennials, individuals between the ages of 18 and 32, who have already made outstanding achievements in the industry. The point of the 30 Under 30 Rising Supply Chain Stars Recognition Program is to highlight the profession and attract additional young people to the discipline. My guests today are Linda Regano, Executive Director of Media Relations with ThomasNet, and M.L. Peck, Senior Vice President of Programs and Product Development with ISM. They're going to talk about how the program works, what it takes to attract millennials to a career in supply chain, and how they differ from previous generations in terms of their career expectations. So here is my conversation with Linda Regano and M.L. Peck. Well, Linda Regano, welcome to the program. Thank you. It's good to be here. And uh, M.L. Peck, welcome as well. Thank you, Bob. We're glad to be here. I want to start out by asking you to tell me a little bit about the 30 Under 30 Rising Stars Recognition Program. How did that start and what's it all about? Ah, thank you. That's a uh, that's the the big question here. Um, we're very very excited to be doing this program with ISM, um, and it really stems from a larger issue that that we've all been facing, which is um, this industry is uh, primarily or dominantly um, um, held by baby boomers, and as these folks are hopefully you know preparing for retirement from the workplace over the next ten fifteen years. Um, this whole industry, this purchasing supply chain management industry is really um, on high alert. Um, and Bob, it's also the same, by the way, for manufacturing. We're seeing this in others as well. But we're looking at a generational shift that's only just begun. And when you think about the numbers, by the year 2025, um, today's boomers are definitely going to be of retirement age. We're going to be, you know, anywhere from 65 to, you know, 79 or 80 years old. So hopefully of retirement age. And that means that as these folks are living out their dreams, 
we need to fill their slots, whether or not it's on the floor or whether or not it's in management. Um, but the supply chain industry needs to have those millennials coming in now. And, and Bob, when we identify millennials, they're really between 18 and 32. Um, and these folks need to be stepping in to take their place. Otherwise, we're going to have a big issue on hand. And that really, that whole discussion um, was taking place between ISM management and Thomas Nett, and, and we've been back and forth on it. And we said, gee, what could, what could we do? What could we do that would be, um, that would, you know, help honor, you know, and, uh, and really highlight what a creative and exciting profession that this is? How do we let people know about that so that millennials out there can, you know, start viewing it more as an option for them? And, you know, we, we feel it's a pivotal moment. And, you know, when our, our um, ISM CEO, Tom Derry, says it beautifully, you know, he talks about how supply chain professionals are, you know, we're making decisions that affect companies' brands, our competitive positioning, our performances. So this is an industry that is exciting and it's vibrant and we need to get people on board. And we said, let's go ahead and create a program. Um, but, Emily, you want to talk a little bit more about that? Sure. So the reason ThomasNet and ISM came together is because it's really the perfect marriage. You know, ThomasNet is the supplier discovery and product sourcing platform, and ISM is the leading group that sets the standards of excellence for procurement and supply chain practitioners. And more importantly, our two organizations share a common goal of advancing the procurement and supply chain profession. So at this critical juncture, we're partnering together to keep the profession strong. Okay. So tell me how the program works. Ah, okay, great. So, so we got together and we said, let's create a 30 under 30 program, right? Because everybody knows 30 under 30, right, Bob? Mm -hmm. And so we know that. And we said, let's identify who are those rising supply chain stars. And there's never been any kind of a recognition program for this industry, for these, this group of people. So we said, let's do that. Let's start by um, put, doing a call for nominations and ask people to nominate somebody who's 30 years or under as of December 31st, and, and I'll get into more specifics on that later. Um, but the idea is to highlight folks who have notable accomplishments in their industry. Um, so it might be, um, and we're asking very simple questions in our nomination. We're asking them, um, people to nominate someone who has made a, a contribution to their company, to a professional association, to the industry, you know, any area. But we're looking for examples of outstanding achievement, exceeding goals, creating a process, improving a process, you know, things of that nature. And we're looking to identify these folks by July the 31st. And at that point, we're going to be selecting the 30 people and highlighting these folks because they're going to become those role models. And that's what we're looking to do. We're creating a recognition program that will hopefully identify folks that are going to be role models for other millennials. And that further will help perpetuate the, you know, the awareness and, and get the message out that it's an exciting, fulfilling career opportunity. So what do they get for being, uh, being recognized as a rising star? Ah, okay. Well, Emily, you want to run, run through some of those details? Sure. We'll honor the 30 young professionals from the U.S. and Canada, as uh, Linda said, whose initiative, collaboration, innovation, and leadership have led to notable accomplishments. Some of the examples include outstanding achievement, exceeding goals, or creating new processes. Each of the nominees who is named a rising star will receive a year's ISM membership for free. And in addition, one megawatt professional from the group will attend ISM's annual conference in 2015. It's our centennial conference for free, along with the person that nominates him or her. I got to stop you there because I, I've got, I ask you about that phrase, megawatt professional. What does that mean? <laughs> That's what we're calling the superstar. So out of the 30, who's the superstar, the megawatt? 
Okay. So, so and then these folks, and obviously, we're, they're going to get this. You know, they get these nice. Um, you know, that, that, the membership, and they get the. Uh, you know, the, the megastar gets the uh, the free trip to to Arizona. But it, more importantly, they're going to be recognized throughout the year in all of our promotions and all of our materials. We have a special website that's dedicated to it. That's um, called thomasbent.com/slash/thirty-under-thirty. And these folks are going to be held up. We're going to have profiles. We have, um, we're going to be working hopefully with you to help, you know, maybe possibly even interview some of these folks, um, you know, and talk to them about why they came into supply chain, what makes it, what makes it a great place for them to be, um, you know, which kind of leads us to that, uh, that whole cool factor, you know, and, and, ha- you know, how does that, how does that happen? Yeah. I want to get to that in a moment, but I just want to uh, get mm-hmm. more clarification on this. This is an annual program, an annual uh, thing. We're hoping it will be. Um, mm-hmm. We're we're kicking it off this year. This is the first ever, um, and we do hope that it'll be annual. Okay. Well, and, I, and I can tell you, by the way, we, we've already gotten in close to um, seventy nominations, and we still have a good month to go. Mm-hmm. Seventy and, and and counting, and but only thirty of which will actually be uh, ultimately recognized. That's Just, right. Yeah. Okay. Sounds like a great program. Sounds like it's going to do a lot toward uh, toward publicizing the need to bring in this whole new millennial generation to supply chain management and supply management. I want to talk now about some of the uh, challenges that one faces in doing that, though. What do the two of you think are the main challenges involved in attracting millennials into supply chain management today? Well, I would say that uh, millennial generation, they kind of differ from previous generations in terms of what they expect from their jobs and careers. Millennials want to be a key part of a company's strategy and growth. They also want the global assignments and the opportunities to, to interact with people all over the world. I mean, this group has been doing this since they were young, playing video games online. And then this field aligns with the millennials' core values. Millennials, more so than any other generation, care about and want to affect social change. And procurement and supply chain provide the greatest opportunities to do so, whether it's sustainability, environmental, ethics or fair labor practices, procurement often has the most influence over decisions that affect these areas. And this is so different from what procurement was 20 to 30 years ago. This is really an exciting field, and part of the reason we're doing this 30 under 30 program is to reassert the cool factor and show millennials how far procurement has come and the opportunities that this field offers them. Exactly. Yeah, Linda, what do you think are some of the differences of this generation? You know, I, I think ML is spot on. I, you know, it's, I think, you know, the millennials today, I think, first of all, I think they get a bad rep. Um, you know, I think it, it is a very hardworking generation. I see a lot of these folks, they're, um, you know, they're, they just, they have different values. It's how they, they grew up very differently um, from the baby boomers in terms of just media exposure and how they, you know, um, absorb and process information. And so their expectations, um, you know, a little bit more cynical um, of the, you know, the, the corporate, you know, uh, you know, I, th- I think you had talked earlier about, um, you know, how long do people stay in jobs today? And you don't see many people staying in jobs for, you know, 30 and 35 years. Um, but you do see some, you know, you do see loyalty and it's, but you tend to see things that are a little bit more five to seven years. Um, and I, you know, that's the nature of this, you know, the generation, the shift. Um, I think these are folks who have also seen their parents, you know, getting laid off from jobs that they were at for, you know, 40 years and, you know, they're, they're just viewing it very differently. And they also have an expectation, you know, again, ML said it, they have an expectation of companies to do the right thing from an ethical standpoint, from a, you know, a conservation standpoint. Um, and they're, they're looking for this, the company to make, you know, to give a payback to not only the industry, but the world. 
I wonder if five to seven years is not a bit generous because uh, my perception of yeah. kind of the 20-something generation is sort of changing jobs every two to three years. Uh, maybe I'm overgeneralizing, but it does seem to be a bit of a – that seems to be kind of the way it works. As Linda said, I, I think that this generation is a little bit more cynical because they did see their parents who stayed with the same company for 20, 30 years and were let go. They've been through several reorganizations. Their parents have been through several reorganizations or their aunts and uncles, and they've witnessed that. They've witnessed a lack of loyalty from a company perspective in their mind. Um, you know, and this group wants to be challenged, and they want to affect that change, and they don't want to accept anything less. So if they don't feel they're making a difference to the company, they're not going to stick around. And companies really need to recognize this shift and adjust their processes and their way of thinking so that they can leverage the unique capabilities that this generation brings. One of the knocks on this gen generation uh, is the fact that they almost seem to have been born with devices uh, physically attached to them. And as a result, their attention span seems rather rather brief. And I'm wondering if that can be kind of a deficiency in terms of wanting to attract someone to your organization. I, you know, I, I, I don't think so. I really don't. I think, um, you're, I think you're also going to start seeing a trend. We're starting to see some research pop up where you're seeing, a, um, you know, kind of a, a, a I don't want to say revolting against it, but um, I think that you know this these folks are very much aware. As I, and look, I'm not that far off um, from the generation myself, but we're very much aware that there are all these interruptions, you know, and it's this master multitasking um, that does often feel ADD-like. Um, but I think that we're also seeing a shift of people saying, "I need downtime. I need to be mindful. I need to be, you know, um, how, how do I do that?" You're seeing a lot of companies that are, you know, starting to stress that, you know, in in you know having a certain day set aside when no meetings or no electronics allowed or, you know, um, you know, kind of fostering that downtime that somebody can have so that they can be in the moment and present and participate, you know, in what's going on. So, I, you know, that's a generation. I, I also think that they're, you know, because of all of these, you know, these devices and how they've grown up absorbing information and getting information, um, they're right on top of their game. They're, they're on top of, you know, I would say outside things, politics, um, what companies are doing in other worlds, they're, they're much more on top of their game than others because they have so much information. And I think they're also getting, they're much smarter about the processing than, than what we might think. So, so ML, do you believe that uh, that kind of tech savviness is a, is a plus for this generation and, for, and social media familiarity on top of that? Absolutely. I think their fluency with social media actually enhances their skill in the workforce. So social media, by its nature, fosters collaboration and community, which are skills that are critical to success in today's environment. These kids growing up with social media allows this generation to intuitively build and work within virtual teams. And as Linda said, it helps them stay connected and stay in tune with the community and market. Yeah. It also changes the way they work. So one of the articles that I read recently was really interesting. It pointed out that previous generations bring people in when a decision has been made. It's all about getting the job done or the execution. Whereas the millennial generation seems to use social media to test concepts and engage people before making a decision. For them, it's more about planning and involvement as well as building a sense of community and ownership. Mm. And that really goes to their reliance on social, social media and the way that they've been raised with technology in a way that previous generations just didn't have that exposure. I want to take a moment to tell you about Rider Supply Chain Solutions. 
Ryder has nearly 80 years of experience helping companies in North America, the U.K., and Asia transform their supply chains. Ryder provides a full range of services from optimizing day-to-day logistics operations to synchronizing the supply of parts and finished goods with customer demand. As supply chains become more complex, Ryder leverages five strengths to deliver the best in supply chain execution. Know-how, lean methodologies, a proven track record, deep expertise in key industries, and a breadth of resources. Visit Ryder Solutions at Ryder.com. That's R-Y-D-E-R dot com. And now, back to the podcast. So they might not fit very well into hierarchical organizations, but on the other hand, hierarchical organizations aren't necessarily what we want these days, are they? Right. Absolutely. And the other point, too, is, you know, these kids don't think in terms of eight to five for a job. They want that flex time. They might be working at three o'clock in the morning, coming a little bit later, like nine or ten o'clock one day, and just adjusting their schedule. It's just fluid. Yeah, and also vir- working virtually, you know, it's it's you know that's going to be a big deal, um, you know. And all I was thinking about the just the examples that we were talking about, um, and Bob, we were talking about different companies that we've seen, you know, through ISM, um, that are just doing some some really clever things and are attracting millennials. And you know, one example was this um, uh, company called Zara. Are you familiar with them? Sure, sure, yeah, yeah. So major, right, major um, fabric, I mean, they do all sorts of, um, you know, clothing. Mm-hmm. Um, and they have, um, you wouldn't think of them as being, you know, a hotbed for innovation for a supply chain, but they are. They've got very innovative um, supply chain practices that are central to their success. Um, so when they get, and, and it's all about getting new products created and out into the retail partner's hands and then testing it and making sure that the market is, is responding. So that if, is it selling? Is that blue sweater selling? And if it's not, what do we need to do to change it? And how quickly can we pull it back, redesign, go back into the market? And that's all about their supply chain and how it's set up so that at every step of the way, every step of the process, um, they can see what is happening. Mm-hmm. And they're using technology to do that. Diageo is another good example. They sell premium drinks and, you know, everything from, you know, your Johnny Walker to your Baileys. And um, what, what's cool about them is that they have a very sophisticated supply chain operation, global, and their their people are allowed to, not allowed but they're able to track the product at every given stage, whether it's in brewery, whether it's in um, packaging, whether it's in shipping. So they're able to see it at all the steps and manage it and make sure that it gets through, you know, in an efficient way. And and that's exciting. That's a that's a cool place to be when you think about that. That's why we want to you know we're highlighting these millennials and the companies that they're with. And you're going to see companies across the board, um, it, which also reflects the ISM membership and Thomasnet's users. You know, everybody from Avon products to to Zara. Oh, how did that fit in? <laughs> Avon to Zara, that worked out well. <laughs> yeah, how about that? Uh, and also, don't you think it's important that today, unlike yesterday, supply chain seems to be a path to the executive suite? I mean, somebody like uh, Tim Cook at Apple was a supply chain guy. That was very mm-hmm. rare in the past. So you could imagine that millennials today getting into supply chain could see a way up through that discipline. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yep. You yeah. know, like we were saying, 20, 30 years ago, procurement was more of a back office tactical function. And now companies are actually building their competitive strategy and their competitive advantage around their supply chain. 
it really came to light with Apple and the famous example of locking up all of the suppliers for the Gorilla Glass. And mm-hmm. since that came to light, people are really recognizing the difference that supply chain can make in corporate strategy. Yeah. Right. One of you uh, said earlier that they want global assignments. Uh, is that really true? I mean, th- this kind of job often requires living in a lot of different places and not necessarily in this country all the time. Is this generation ready for that kind of uh, globetrotting kind of experience where they might have to work in a bunch of different places out- outside the country? Yeah, I agree. The you know We work with a lot of millennials at ISM. We have a lot of programs. And I would say at least 90% of them talk about wanting that global assignment. They want to be outside of the U.S. They want to experience the culture. They, you know, they've learned about it from their friends through their social network, and now they want to experience it for themselves. Right, right. Yeah, and by definition, they, they are probably less likely to have started families at this age and so more in a position to where they wouldn't mind doing that. Absolutely. Plus, I mean, they grew up with safety nets that, that previous generations didn't have. You know, every generation's a little bit better off, and Gen X is a little bit better off than the baby boomers, and, you know, the millennials are their kids. So they have this safety net at home and the support system, plus with, again, social media, they have this huge support system that they can fall back on. Yeah, I like, they're more willing to take some risks. I like your use of the, of the term safety net. Some would say, some would use the word spoiled, but uh, <laughs> a little more positive take, uh, positive spin on that. Um, so tell me why, in your opinion, though, um, is it true, and it does seem to be true to a certain extent, that millennials are somewhat unaware of the possibilities uh, and the opportunities in supply management? If that's the case, Why? I don't think there's been any good role models for them that are of their generation or their age. I mean, you don't see supply chain people on the cover of Forbes generally. So what we're trying to do with this program is create that visibility and create these role models, get the stories of the 30 30 winners, get their stories out there so that other kids that are thinking about going into college or in college or thinking about what they're going to do with a career read about it and start really recognizing the opportunities that they have in supply chain and how well supply chain fits with their core values. Linda, you think there's an awareness gap as well? Absolutely. I mean, the awareness is, is key. It, when you think about this industry, it's also, you know, it's, it's, it's undergone so many changes. ML was talking about the back office and the, uh, the green eye shade and the calculator. You know, procurement was all about getting the deal. And and today it's such a different picture. Um, you also see the educational part of it changed. I mean, Bob, 20 years ago, did you see supply chain majors in colleges? Only a handful, not too many, not yeah. too many schools. I mean, there right. were some, but not as, yeah. certainly not as many as today. Right, and today there's well over. And what you, I think ISM just published a guide on that. It was like over 150 or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we publish yeah. a guide every year, and this year's has increased by about 30 percent, I believe. So we have over 160 schools that we've identified that have procurement or supply chain emphasis. A lot of yeah, them. That's huge. A lot of them started out as uh, they were originally maybe physical distribution or logistics programs, and then they slapped the supply chain label on, and they may or may not have adjusted the program accordingly. But I get the feeling that today, today's supply chain management programs really are much deeper than that. Yeah, they are. They are. They are. Yeah, absolutely. and it's because there is a de- there is a demand there from businesses wanting to fill that gap. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you think that the universities are maintaining, like, and, and, and private business as well, maintaining like a robust internship opportunity uh, for, comp- for even for students who are still in college to get a taste of what it's like in the real world while they're still studying? I think there are some companies that are fantastic at that. 
And a lot of the universities do have some sort of an internship program. And it, it is fantastic because it does expose the students to what it's really like to be in supply chain. Linda, would you agree? Yeah, I, I yeah, I, I, I do agree. It's, you know, I mean, and, and we're a big endorser of internships and mentorships and any, you know, any other kind of program that you can get where you can get somebody in from school directly into the workplace. Um, it's once they get in there, they get a taste of it. And it's, Bob, it's this whole concept of success breeds success. And it's by putting people out there that are doing things right, that are, excuse me, coming from sharing, you know, as Emil said, their path. You know, how did they get there? What did they major in um, in school? Or did they go to school? Did they get a certificate? How did they get into the business? Um, how did they, what was their path in there? And it's not just about getting to the top. You know, you referenced that earlier about certainly supply chain. You hear a lot that it's definitely in the C-suite today or it's recognized in the C-suite today, sorry. Um, but I, I just want to stress that it's not always about that. I mean, not only millennials, but others look at supply chain as a meaningful career where they can make a difference. Um, so it's not necessarily about, I want that fast track to the top where I'm going to make the six-figure contract and I'm going, to, I'm going to be on top. I'm going to be in the ivory tower. We're seeing people who really want to make a difference at all levels. What business wants, though, from the universities today seems like such an extensive, well-rounded individual, someone who's good not only with numbers and analytics, but good with people and can involve themselves in multidisciplinary types of tasks. It seems like a, a huge laundry list of things that they want to see these great graduates possess. Are the universities doing a good job of presenting those candidates or is though, are those simply qualities that really have to be developed and fostered once they get into the real business world? You know, the qualities that you're describing, Bob, I, I, I mean, I see that in any business. I don't necessarily see that as just supply chain. I mean, I, I would think, I mean, I, I can speak at ThomasNet. We're always looking for people that are certainly, if they're going to be in, in an engineer, they might have to have certain um, skills, particular skill sets or exposure to technology. But we expect people to be good with other people, to be able to um, conduct themselves professionally, to, to, have, to be able to work in teams. I mean, that's, that's a given. That's, I don't think that's anything that's special skill that's attached to supply chain. Yeah, that, that's a good point. Although it does seem like there were some analytics type positions in the old days that involved people just sitting in rooms, not necessarily people who were good with other people, but were good with numbers. But now they're asking of those people to be able to reach out across different disciplines within the organization and outside the organization, too. So suddenly everyone's got to be kind of a people person, even if you're good at numbers. And that seems like maybe that's a little bit different. But also, as you say, all companies would like that kind of individual if they can only find them. Right. But, I mean, you're probably the perfect example for supply chain brain. If you put it to the, if you did the analogy in publishing, mm -hmm. um, you're, you're the senior editor there, right? And yeah. you came up there, you, you know, the ropes, you've been writing, right? So you've been writing for a long time, but all of a sudden now you're doing a podcast. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure that you're on, on television. And it, these are things that a, a writer or a journalist may not have had exposure to before, but they're expected to be an anchor now. And they're expected to be able to moderate a radio interview as you're doing so so wonderfully now. <laughs> Thank you. But of course, in their, in their case, I mean, my in my case, it's something you sort of stumble on in the course of doing the job, trying to survive in the world of publishing. In their case, that's something that they will probably be actually prepared for at the university level. They won't have to stumble in anything. They'll know that all these requirements are out there. Yeah, wouldn't that be great? It would it would be great, definitely. So um, maybe I ask ML this, and 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 also you, Linda. 
What kind of uh, initiatives do you think you at ThomasNet and ISM might undertake in order to get this message down even further into the educational system, into the high schools, and maybe even into the elementary schools so that kids coming up into college already at least have some conception of the existence of a world of supply chain management? It's a great question. I mean, we're in First of all, this is the first time, and we're excited, but this is the first time that we're undergoing a very concrete promotional program, and we see this as really the beginning of um, just what has been a beautiful marriage between ISM and ThomasNet, and not only the promotion of this, but this whole concept, we're, we're both very big believers of the pay-it-forward concept and encouraging people and generations to do what, to help and mentor and do what, get the help that they had get, had received. Um, we're going to be sending this message. I mean, we're going to be relying on you to help us get the message out. We're going to be communicating it in the regional business publications throughout the country So, and, and to the schools. I mean, ISM has wonderful relationships with all of these schools around the country, so we'll be talking to them. Um, we're also doing some joint research, and that research will hopefully uncover some, some interesting benchmarks and trends that will just keep that flow of promotion going. Or not, not, I don't want to say promotion, but really keep that flow of exposure that this is a vital industry and is, is worthy of, of their time and attention. ML, a last word from you on this? I, I agree with Linda. We're looking at this as the first step in doing more to engage the millennial generation and to really bring visibility to procurement and supply chain as a viable and fulfilling career. So this is the pilot program. We're rolling this out and we're going to do some lessons learned and talk about how we can further expand this and continue to increase publicity. Well, this sounds like a fantastic initiative, and I wish you all the best. And we want to keep in touch with you and see how it goes and uh, just uh, keep, our, uh, keep our eyes on, on, on how this is going and, and as millennials become more and more part of this workforce. Linda Regano, ML Peck, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, thank you. Thank you. It was our pleasure, Bob. A final word from our sponsor, Ryder Supply Chain Solutions. Ryder has nearly 80 years of experience helping customers in North America, the U.K., and Asia transform their supply chains by delivering the best in operational execution. Ryder provides a full range of services from optimizing day-to-day -day logistics operations to synchronizing the supply of parts and finished goods with customer demand. Visit us at Ryder.com. That was my conversation with Linda Regano of ThomasNet and M.L. Peck of the Institute for Supply Management. Remember, the deadline for nominations in the 30 Under 30 Rising Supply Chain Stars program is July 31st. To nominate someone, go to www.thomasnet.com slash 30 under 30. Self-nominations are encouraged. I'm Bob Bowman, Managing Editor of Supply Chain Brain, and I'm way over 30. We're online at www.supplychainbrain.com where we post a new episode of this podcast for streaming or downloading every Friday. You can also read my Think Tank blog, watch nearly 2,000 videos, and access all of our other content, including the digital edition of our magazine. Look for us on Facebook and LinkedIn, and follow us on Twitter, at SC Brain. See you next time. <laughs>